0: Reconnect to return to the work, the work. We have been given a specific assignment by the Lord, and in order to accomplish that, we must reconnect. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, we read, For I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died. Christ died in vain. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need you today. My heart is very heavy. Lord, I just thank you again for our dear sister Letha and the fact that she was such a warrior, a soldier of Jesus Christ, that makes it easier for me to stand because I know that if she could, she would be here right now. And in, in in, in, in some ways, she is actually here because her spirit is at work, even in the life that she's lived and the encouragement that she's left. We bless you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today, we are, as I've already mentioned, we're going to continue our series, Reconnect, Reconnect, to return to the work. Now, if you're like me, I'm a big fan of the music genre classified as traditional pop or classic pop. Uh, Some people call it swing. Frank Sinatra is one of the most famous representatives of this style of music. In 1969, he sang a song that made it to the top of the charts nationally and internationally. And the name of the song is I Did It My Way. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, I have Frank Sinatra as one of my favorite stations that I listen to. I really love the big bands. I love swing music. And that particular song uh, is very apropos for what we're going to be considering in the Word of God today. As you will hear from the lyrics of the song I Did It My Way, they capture the spirit that has been released or was unleashed in the 60s at the height of the anti-Vietnam War protests, and following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and also Robert F. Kennedy. They were all assassinated in that very short two, uh, two, uh, 1964 uh, John F. Kennedy, 65, Malcolm X, 68, Martin Luther King, and in 69, Robert F. Kennedy. The mantra of America shifted from God, family, and country during that time of, of turmoil to me, my, and I. The lyrics for, it, for I Did It My Way are now on full display in a divided country that is committed to doing them rather than him. I want you to listen to the words and see if you agree with me if this song actually captures the spirit of the time that we live in. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that is full, traveled each and every highway, and more, much more, I did it my way. I did it my way. Regrets I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the the byway and more, much more, I did it my way. I did it my way. Yes, there were times I was sure you knew that I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, I stood tall, and I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show, I took all the blows, and I did it my way. Yes, I did it my way. What Frank Sinatra called, I did it my way, has a new name today. We say, Without much spiritual consideration, I'm doing me. I'm doing me. When we say that we're doing me, it means that I'm taking care of me first. I'm going to make myself happy. I've done for you and them. Now it's my time. I'm not trying to please anybody. I deserve to be happy just like you, and if I don't make myself happy, if I don't make myself number one, who else will? Now, you may be asking, what's wrong with taking care of yourself uh, or, or making yourself happy? Or you may be saying, is it wrong to pamper yourself or to do things that make you feel good? Maybe the better question is, how does doing you line up with what the Scriptures say in, Pro- in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Scripture says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name, in the authority, by permission of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Whatever you do, do it in the authority, in the permission in recognition that Christ has the final say-so, let what your actions and your thoughts do line up with that scripture. And if you can say doing you lines up with the permission and the authority of Christ in such a way that he is pleased, then do you. Unfortunately, our primary motivation should not be, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, but our primary motivation in life should be focused on doing him, doing him. That's our title today, doing him, not doing you. When is the last time you heard a Christian say, or you yourself have said, I'm doing Jesus? I'm doing Jesus. I don't have any... Difficulty remembering hearing people that say they saved quickly telling you, I'm doing me today. I'm doing me this year. I haven't heard too many Christians say I'm doing Jesus. Doing Jesus requires that we dust off some old theological terms that was so much a part of who I was as a new Christian it was, it was as common as reading your Bible or as prayer. We talked about, and Scripture requires this, talking about denying yourself. When is the last time you heard that from a pulpit or a teaching that you have sat under? When is the last time you heard about dying to yourself, to your flesh daily, or taking up your cross, or here, here's even a, the, the more archaic term: living the crucified life. Doing him and not us means that we are dying to ourselves, carrying our cross, living the crucified life and and, ultimately, putting him first. We have glorified selfishness and idolized our personal agendas. We're more concerned about what people think about us rather than what people think about the Jesus in us. Reconnecting to return to the work requires that we do Jesus. We do Jesus. That's the missing ingredient in the church, and we've got enough how-to books. Oh, We've got enough churches trying to tell you how God wants to bless you, how God wants to make your day, how he wants to reposition you, how he wants to expand your territory. But my Bible says, Jesus speaking, he said, unless you are willing to take up your cross and deny yourself, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. I want you to understand that salvation is free. But discipleship is costly. The following Jesus means doing him. Not us. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in, in Galatians chapter two verse 20. This was my foundational scripture. Every Christian that was involved in any kind of discipleship when I got saved back in 1972. We understood denial. We understood taking up your cross. We understood what it meant to live the crucified life. Those were the kind of books that were going off the shelf as quickly as they could be reproduced. You're not finding those books anymore. But the Apostle Paul tells us that in order to live an effective and God-centered Christian life, what he records in verse 20 must be true. He says, speaking of himself and us, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That ought to be every Christian's mantra, every Christian's mandate, that ought to be the thing that makes the blood pump, make the blood in your heart pump through your veins, the, the blood pump, the, the heart pump the vein, blood through your veins. You guys know what I'm talking about. The crucified life. Now, I want to share with you four things about doing him and not us, because this is the way it, it, this is the way it actually happens. When you genuinely know Jesus, you will never understand what it means to live a complete, fulfilled, satisfied life apart from doing him. Because in him, we find the true meaning of satisfaction. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I have learned what it means to be content. And then he gives a series of circumstances in his life, how he had to learn. And he says, the reason why I am able to be satisfied, to be at peace, to be able to have joy in whatever my circumstances may be, he says, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Some of us got too much money. Some of us got too much job security. Some of us think that we can't get sick. Some of us think that we're going to be here forever, and we don't have this commitment where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, here are four things that I want to share with you. If you want to do Jesus in 2022, if you really want to reconnect and, 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 and this, I don't know about you, but if, if Jesus wasn't in my life, I'd be depressed every day. And even as a Christian, if you are not connected with other believers, the devil is going to use discouragement. That's why the Lord says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some do. Why? So that you can encourage, strengthen one another in these evil days we need each other church but here's the first thing that we need to understand based on Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 that we're going to do Christ and not us the first thing write this down it's a fact say it's a fact notice the apostle paul says i have been i have been Before we delve into the completion of that thought, I want you to consider that verb construction. He says, I have been. In the English, it occurs in in the past tense, what we call the past tense. In Greek, they had at least 26 variations of verb tenses. The particular tense that is used by the apostle Paul when he says, I have been, is what is called the perfect tense in Greek. And the perfect tense was used, and the only reason I mention the Greek is because all of the New Testament was written in what's called koine, or everyday common Greek. And so the original text of the Bible was not in English, it was in Greek. And so the word, the, 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 the verbs that he's, I had been, or had been, is in the perfect tense, which means Paul refers to a past action Something that happened in the past that has continual present results. Something that took place in the past that continues to have results in the present. I have been. Something happened to me in the past, and what took place, what transpired in the past, continues to impact my present. And so you need to declare, if you're a Christian, something happened in the past. It's a fact. You have been like the Apostle Paul. What happened to Paul? Paul was heading to, he was on the road to Damascus. He had been assigned by the religious leaders to take into custody Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem to either put them in, keep them in captivity to stop them from spreading the gospel, or even like uh, Deacon Stephen, to put them to death. It was Paul who held the coat of the Jews who stung Stephen. And so he was emboldened to go and to take more Christians into captivity to do them harm. And in route to bringing these Christians in, he had a rock my world experience. <laughs> Jesus appeared and knocked Paul off of his high horses onto the ground, and a bright light shined around him. And the apostle Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the resurrected Christ who once was dead but now is alive. And on the road going to Damascus, the apostle Paul made a decision to trust Jesus as his personal savior and Lord. The Bible says he became a new creation. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Saul became Paul. His heart of flesh was turned to a heart of his heart of stone was turned to a heart of flesh. He became in love with Jesus. And so when Paul says, I have been, he's referring back to that time on the road heading to Damascus where he Where he got saved, where Jesus snatched him out of darkness and paced him into the kingdom of his light, where he experienced what the Bible calls being born again, the second birth, being born from above. He got saved in the past. And that past experience of trusting the Christ who put him on his backside and sent him into sent, sent him into his purpose and vision had continued results, Paul says, I have been crucified, and what that experience has resulted in, the blessing that I'm currently walking in. We have been. It's a fact. If you saved, something happened when you trusted Jesus, you have been. You have been. Say it's a fact. It's a fact. Now, this fact of having been, and we'll see, crucified with Christ it's personal. He says, I have been. The question is, have you been? <laughs> is there a time in your life when you can personally point to where you, where you genuinely recognize that you were a sinner in need of divine grace and salvation? The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. Is there a time in your life when you had been previously unsaved, but you're now saved? It's not only personal but it's universal. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, he says, "For we all have been baptized by one spirit to form the body of Christ." And so it's not it's personal, I have been, but because every Christian has the same experience at the point of salvation, now we form universally one body called the body of Jesus. So it's universal. But it's also spiritual. It says that we have been born into one body by, by, by spirit. It's a spiritual experience. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, marvel not that I say you must be born a second time. And he said, how can you, how, how can you see the wind? And Jesus said, no, we can't see the wind like you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the results of the wind blowing. And so this experience of uh, having been crucified with Christ it brings us into union it identifies with us it makes his it makes us his possession we become one with him And it's spiritual. It's kind of like when a man and a woman twenty nine years ago, I stood before an altar with a woman named Virginia Griffin, and we 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 both exchanged vows. And at the conclusion of those vows, someone said, "Now I pronounce you man and wife." And so the two that were the one, the two that were separate, were now one. How did that happen? God said, "It's a mystery. It's a spiritual thing. It's something that's not visible, but it happens in the spiritual realm." So in the moment you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says, "It's not by works." of righteousness, which we've done, but by the mercies of God, we have experienced what is called the washing and the regeneration. What ha- the Spirit of God enters into us without anything that we can see with our natural eyes, and He makes us alive. So, this is a spiritual experience. Where the, when, when we have been when we have been crucified in the Christ, something happens on the inside. We literally, the Bible says in Romans chapter one, verses one through thirteen, that when Jesus died, because he was dying for us, we died with him. When Jesus was buried in spirit, symbolically, we were buried with him. And when Jesus rose, because he was victorious over the grave, over the grave his death, burial, and resurrection was our experience when we accept him by applying it to our life. It's kind of the same principle back in the Old Testament in, in Exodus chapter 14. Before the In Exodus chapter 13, before the nation of Israel departed and the Lord said, I'm going to take the firstborn of, of, of the, the, the children, the sons of, of, of the Egyptians. And he said, well, what I want the, the nation of Israel to do, I want you to take the blood of a, of a lamb without spot or of, 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 of blemish, and I want you to take the blood and put it over the, over the doorposts of all of the Israelites. He said, wherever I see the blood, the death angel will pass. Well, the blood was available, the resource was available, but until it was applied to the doorpost, it had no effect. It had no benefit. So this, this thing with becoming united or identified with Jesus has no benefit. We, We aren't crucified. We are not buried. We don't rise with Christ until we personally apply what Jesus did for us by saying yes to him. It's a spiritual transaction. And so the first thing that we need to understand to do him is, it's a fact. You have been. You once were lost, but now you're found. In him, we have been Given the wisdom of the Lord in him, we have been given sanctification and redemption because of what took place in the past. And because it's a perfect tense, it means that we still benefit from that. You ought to do him because of what has happened on your behalf and what you were able to apply. Here's the second thing. It's final. It's final. Somebody ought to say it's final. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense. I'm dead. I'm no longer alive. My life is hidden with him because spiritually, supernaturally, mysteriously, as Christ was dying on the cross for sin, he, in fact, was dying in my place, and I, therefore, have victory over sin because he died for me. I'm crucified with Christ. Crucifixion means something had to die Something has been put to death. On your behalf, something had to die. The Bible says, since you, in in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, hear me, since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world and the elementary forces of this world, why as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to rules and regulations? In other words, we don't have to submit to rituals and and work to try to be saved because we already died to the requirement that Christ satisfied when we died with him. You've been crucified. It's final. It's final. We have died in Christ. In in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And your life is now hidden in Christ when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, we have died, past tense, present tense. I'm crucified with Christ. But because of that past tense experience, I am currently benefiting from what Jesus did. But in the future, I can also look forward to the fact that I will appear with him. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, it said, here's a trustworthy saying, since we die, you're dead, we're dead men walking with him, we shall also live with him. I am alive, but I'm dead because Jesus took my place on the cross and spiritually I was there with him and the debt that needed to be paid is fully fully covered. It's final. Say it's final. Now let me share some of the benefits of death being final. The the crucifixion of Christ on our behalf, he Going, on, going to the cross to take our sins. That means that the price for sin had to be paid. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I wonder if you understand that, that we all were sinners separated from God. There was a penalty, there was a price that needed to be paid. And so that is the reason why Christ came, he who knew no sin, the Bible said, became sin for you and me, that through his death we might have deposited into our bankrupt spiritual account. The righteousness of God. I want you to know that the payment for the price of our sin has been made in full. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, God made, made us alive together with him, having given, us all, having given us all our transgressions, or I'm sorry, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, here it is, by counseling the record of the debt that stood against us, with all of its legal demand, the debt of sin has been canceled because Jesus' death paid for it in full. I wonder if you understand, we would appreciate that if somebody would say, I'll pay your $100,000 college loan or somebody came to you and said, look, I'm going to pay your house off. I know you owe three, whatever it is. I'm paying it off today. And then you look on your bank account and it says, paid in full. I think you might be celebrating. I think you might be a little happy. I think you might be a little appreciative because the debt that you would be paying for for the next 30 years or maybe for the rest of your life, and when it comes to sin, the debt for sin, we don't have enough righteousness or or, or enough uh, 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 uh uh, a determination, even if we were righteous, to, to, to pay off the debt, because the debt can only be paid through the shed blood of a perfect sacrifice. And so the, the debt has been paid in full, your sin debt. Why you want to do him? He paid the price for your sin. We, the Bible says we were, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We had nothing to offer God. Our best was not good enough for God. He also had to address the penalty of sin. The Bible says because Jesus died, because his death was final, that there is therefore no more condemnation. We will never stand before God to be judged for our sin because, for, to those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And so Jesus removes by dying on the cross as our substitute, he removes the penalty of our sin. The payment has been made in full. There was a price for sin. Then the scripture lets us know that because this this commitment of Christ is final, when he died on the cross, the power of sin is broken. Here's what the scripture says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. It says, for we know that our old self, the old man, our sin nature, was crucified, died with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus' death, in its, when he took my place, the power of sin to dominate and control me has been broken. And so when you, when you know Christ, it doesn't mean that you won't ever sin. But it does mean that sin doesn't have to dominate you. You have a choice. You can say no to sin. You don't have to keep going back to the graveyard and resurrecting the the, the old man and and allowing the old man to jangle uh, uh, some keys in front of you as if he has authority. The old man, the sin nature, the Adamic nature. The power of sin has been broken. And if you think back, some of us may not think we were that bad. But the scripture says, That the wages of sin, one sin, is enough to keep us out of heaven. God is holy, but Jesus paid the price. That's what salvation is all about. That's what the Christian message is all about. That the very power and penalty of sin has been broken because Christ paid for our debt in full through his shed blood. Because of that, the priorities of our life should change. We should be doing him because the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter. Uh, 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work as if you, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human, a human master. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our priorities change. When you know Jesus, Jesus told the disciples that day in Matthew chapter 6, verse thirteen. he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Our problem is our priorities haven't changed. We've been saved for 20 years and we're still living in our carnality. We're still living in our feelings. We're still waiting for God to, to act like our annual Santa Claus, checking his list and checking it twice to see if we've been naughty or nice to bless us versus putting him first. Our priorities change when you understand that the crucifixion of Christ is final in what it accomplished for us. When Christ hung from the cross, one of the last words that Jesus said, the six of the seven last words that Jesus said, he said, it is finished. Tell Telesti, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. But what he said, what was finished? The debt for sin had been paid in full, the God had canceled out what you owed him and what we owed him. The Bible, again, the wages of sin is death. But when Christ accomplished the work as the lamb who was without sin on the cross from us, he said, it is finished, what the Old Testament system couldn't do, what the priests couldn't do, what the prophets couldn't do, what the, what the Levitical system couldn't do. Jesus was able to, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, he went into the holiest of holies, having shed his blood on the cross for our sins. And the scripture says that the, the, the curtain that divided the holiest of holies was, was rent from the top to the bottom, and Christ entered in. And unlike all the other priests who every year they had to continue To go in and offer up a sacrifice for the nation and offer up a sacrifice for themselves. The Bible says that Jesus, our high priest, he went into the holiest of holies after he rose from the dead on the third day. And the scripture says he sat down because the work had been finished. It's final. The debt for your sin has been paid. Gratitude should say, I want to do him. The person who took my sins away, the person who makes it possible for me to have a right relationship with God, the person that makes it possible for me to have peace in the midst of my turmoil, the person who's able to heal me and provide, and has to provide for me and has kept me, that's the one who has finally settled my situation with God, and I want to do him, not me. And so the second, it's final, it's final. I am crucified with Christ. That is a past act that continues to have current benefits and ultimately will have future benefits because we, when he returns, he's coming for us. It's also, it is also a fact that I have been. But here's the third thing. It's a fight to do him and not us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 23. The problem is with our sin nature. Yeah, we know Jesus. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit. But we still have a dual nature residing in one person. We have the, we have the sin nature and we have the Spirit of God living in us. Paul says in verse 23, but I, have, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He said, when I would do right, i do wrong. When I, when, when, and, and my, my heart's desire is to obey the word of God, but there's something on the inside called the, the sin nature, the Adamic nature, that even though I'm saved and I died with Christ, that dead man wants to be resurrected whenever I'm not yielded to the spirit of God. So Paul says this, I say, walk in the spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, because the flesh and the spirit are warring. And so if you're saved, you are going to be in conflict. It's a conflict. It's a fight. Sometimes we feel very guilty, and you should when you sin, because the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries, is to convict us of sin. But the fact that you you are even convicted when you do wrong, that's an indication that the Holy Spirit of God is residing in you. Because when you know Christ, sin will cause the Spirit of God to be grieved. A believer cannot comfortably live in sin. Jesus said that those who are saved will hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says to those who plan, who, who the, as the nation of Israel said, be sure your sins will find you out. The way of a transgressor is hard. If you're finding it enjoyable and easy to live in sin, it may be because you're just religious. Never had, uh, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ because when Christ comes in, you will fight, you're going to be fighting. You're going to be fighting because the old nature is there. You're going to be fighting because the pleasures of sin. How many of you know that sin is fun? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, uh, 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 Moses talked about his choice to uh, unite with the suffering of the nation of Israel or to enjoy the pleasures of sin that last for a moment. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you it is not fun to satisfy the lust of your flesh, to do your own thing, to do you rather than God because to do God means you got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross you got to live a life that is constantly you're dying to the flesh every day the, we don't the flesh doesn't want to do that and so there's this, there's this fight going on in the pleasure of the world And then there's the pressure of the world. The apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, but be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, into its way of thinking and acting, into the system that is under the God of this world. But be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and the perfect acceptable will of God. There's the pressure to fit in. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want people to like us. We want people to think we cool. We want people to invite us out to lunch. We want people to get us Christmas gifts. We want to be able to say that we got friends on Facebook. We got friends that are following us on Twitter. We got friends that are responding to our Snapchat and whatever else. The pressures of this world. We're more concerned, again, about how people think about us than what people think about the Jesus who we say is in us. There's pressure to find satisfaction by pursuing your own agenda. I know there are things that I need to do with my life, and I'm just trying to figure out what path I should take. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get this next 100000 next million dollars where I'm going to live, how, what kind of car I'm going to drive. And so there's this pressure to try to find satisfaction apart from the Lord. But The Bible says that many are the purposes that are in the hearts of men, but the, the, but the plans of God will be established. The will of God ultimately is going to be accomplished in your life. And until you are aligned with his will, by acknowledging him in all your ways, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, we'll find ourselves in this fight, in this fight, the pressure to, of the world to find satisfaction in the of God, the pressure to figure out our problems from Google rather than the word of God. We ain't turning to the Bible to get questions answered. I, I, I dare you to line up the word of God with, with what's happening in the newspaper today about the signs of the time that the Bible and, the, and what's going on in the world, are, it's almost like you're reading a, a simultaneous accounts that everything that God said that would happen in the end times is happening before our own eyes. But we're so distracted, we so are into doing me that we're missing him as he is trying to reveal to us that time is winding up figuring out your problems with Google rather than scripture, when is the last time you went to the Bible to seek a solution for something that you're going through? When is the last time you took the truth of the word of God that like James said, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only? You, you went to the scripture, you found the solution about what God says about fear and anger and forgiveness. But it's not just enough to know what God says. Did you apply the word? And when you do, what you find is that the scriptures, the word of God, it works. The word of God works. We also follow Christ. We we struggle with the pressure to follow Christ as as a bold witness for him a bold witness for him. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When is the last time you let people know that you are a follower of Christ? When is the last time you intentionally shared the gospel with anyone? There's pressure in this conflict to do him and not us. An Indy car racer had been in, 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 the, in the profession for many years. He'd never won. And then finally he, is in a race, and he's winning. He's laps ahead of everyone else. And he's done everything right in the pit crew. They got new tires on him. They kept him gassed up. They kept him water and all that. And, and, and everything was just right. And uh, he decided, he made a calculated decision that he wasn't going to stop for gas during the last laps around. And just as he was preparing to cross the finish line, the car stopped in his track. And he's trying to figure out what it is, what's going on, and, and, and what had happened is that he ran out of gas right before he crossed the finish line. Now, if the car had rolled, the wind had pushed, the car would have gone over, and he still would have won, but there was no wind that day. He was just behind the car trying to blow it. He couldn't push it. He, the only thing that could happen is that, that, innate, that, 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 that an act of God where the car was pushed over. but he ran out of gas. And when and, and, and I thought about that, I thought about the principle is that in order for us to effectively win the race, Paul talks about the race that every Christian is in. We're not racing for a perishable wreath. We're not racing for things that are temple, but we're worshiping in such a way that we become all things to every man to win some for Jesus. He said, run in such a way to win. And the only way that we're going to win, just like your car needs gas, the scripture said, be ye filled, be yielded, controlled, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And as I am yielded to the spirit of God, I can do him instead of me. Here's the final thing. Not only it's a fight, it's final, it's factual. It is also something that to to do Jesus, it takes focus. It takes focus. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first focus that you need to have is let Christ rule. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is not trying to be a house guest in your life. He wants to be on the throne of your life. He wants to master your life. And I want you to understand, if, we, if you are a Christian that has never been satisfied or had uh, an experience with Christ where you where you actually came to a place of full surrender is because you've never allowed Jesus to be Lord. Jesus is an invited guest. He's got he he has access to certain parts of your life, but he doesn't have control over the entirety of your life. The Bible said, "Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit dwells in you? You don't belong to yourself. You've been brought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Let Jesus." Rule. I want you to know that what's going to bring the church back into the building, Jesus has to rule. It's going to be hard for carnal people to come back. It's going to be hard for carnal people to hold on. This is the time the Lord is testing the church. Will you start doing him rather than you? You will not find satisfaction in pursuing the lust of the flesh if you belong to him. He died for you. The sin that you should have rightfully paid for has been paid in full. Do him. Let Jesus rule. Let Jesus rule, but also live by faith. He said, the life that I now live, I live by faith faith in the Son of God. See your life through the lenses of the Word of God. And here's how you do that. Let Jesus be your, the, uh, he is, look, the Bible said, looking unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of your faith. We used to say it like this, what would Jesus do? Living a life by faith in Jesus means doing what Jesus would do and asking no questions. <laughs> That's what faith is. God said it that settles it. And so I am going to line my life up intentionally by staying in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm going to line my life up with the Word of God, and I'm looking to Jesus. He's the model. He was was sent in order for us to conform to be like him. Is your life becoming more like Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus, or do you still look like somebody who's not saved? Is there enough evidence to prove that you're a Christian? If it was a matter of you going to jail for life or being freed, would you go to jail? Here's a third thing, and I got one more thing. Love Christ. He says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me, loved me, and gave his life for me. Love Christ. Why? Because he loved you first. We don't know the true meaning of you can't love anybody the right way until you have a right love relationship with Jesus. I live by faith in the one who loved me first. I wouldn't want a woman who don't love Jesus. I, don't want a, I wouldn't want a man who didn't love Jesus first because until you can love Jesus first, You'll never learn how to righteously love anyone else. Your love will always be conditional. It will always be selfish because it's the love of God that has been poured in our heart that makes unconditional love possible. And so he said, I'm living, love Jesus because he loved you first. That's what it means to do him. I'm tired of Christians just coming to church, religious, going through the routine, living off of your old off of leftovers, no fire for Christ, no passion. Until you make, your decide, make the priority him, we will not see supernatural things released through us because he said greater works than these. Well, you do. The church can't do them because Jesus, he says, the life that I now live, I live by, in that Christ is living in me so that he can live through me as I'm yielded to him. Let me finish with this. Learn that living for Christ isn't about keeping religious rules. He talks about this in verse 21. He says, if I submit myself to the law, keeping rules and regulations, then the death of Christ was meaningless. And the reason he says that is because there are people who mistakenly think That spirituality is based on how many Bible verses you remembered. How many certificates and degrees and credentials. How faithful you are to the church. What your titles are in the church. He says that that spirituality is not based on religious rituals and routines. But it's based on a meaningful, rich relationship with Christ that says, Him first. Him first. I am going to run my decision through the grid of the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ? He humbled himself even to the point of dying. I want to be like Jesus. And so when I do this, am I being like Jesus? When I say that, am I being like Jesus? If I go there, is this like Jesus? If I wear this, does this honor Jesus? Do him, not you. I believe that the Lord is bringing the church out of this. We're going to be better than we've ever been because if you make it through this pandemic, if you're still on fire for Jesus, I want you to know that we're not just trying to make it through the pandemic. The Bible says increase, don't decrease. We're not retreating. We're going, to, we're going forward and with full steam with the arm, the arm of Christ. You need to be growing and excited about what the Lord is doing. He's not, he, this pandemic didn't take him by surprise. This is a time where the harvest is ripe, ripe in the, in the labors of few. Let me finish with this. A young man had heard about an older gentleman who had been walking with the Lord for many, many years. And what stood out in his mind is that even though this man had a long history of walking with Jesus, his passion for Christ had not waned. And so he sat down with this older gentleman in the, on the countryside on the porch with his dog, and he said, Sir, I have a question. He said, why do so many Christians, after two or three years of walking with Christ and being excited by being saved, why do their lives become reduced to going to church twice a week, reading their Bible, and they are on automatic cruise control? They have no fire for Jesus. What happened? And he said, well, I've been told that that's not true of you, and and since it's not true of you, how did you maintain your passion for Christ? How is it possible for you to do him and not you? He said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, well, see my dog here? He said, some years ago, we were sitting on the porch. I was drinking lemonade. He said, my dog saw a big white rabbit. And this little young guy is looking at him like, crazy, big white rabbit. Okay, okay. They didn't say he wasn't seen now, but he got a big white rabbit. He said, my dog took off running after the rabbit. Jumped over fences, went through holes, went around crevices, went around hills, went into the ravines. And he said, before long, uh, there were numerous dogs following my dog, just running and and going over the crevices, going through the the fences and, and going into holes, and they were just running. He said, before long, the only dog that was still chasing was my dog. And then the old man stopped telling the story. <laughs> and the young guy said, well, what, what, what did that have to do with having fire for Jesus? He said, No, you asked the wrong question, young man. He said, The question is, why did the, my dog keep running after the rabbit and the other dogs didn't? So well, let me tell you why. He said, My dog saw the rabbit. <laughs> If the other dogs never saw the rabbit, they saw my dog chasing the rabbit. He said, that, see, I've see, I, I had an experience with Jesus, Paul said. I have, he has apprehended me. He has saved me. And he said, now, I, I. he said, I live in such a way that I forget those things which are behind. And I'm pressing on because I desire to know Christ. I'm chasing after him. He said, I desire to know him in the fullness of his resurrection and to be identified with his suffering. I want to get to know Jesus better because of my experience with with him. I've had an intimate encounter with him. That's why I'm chasing him. That's why I have passion. I want you to know if you want your passion to return for Jesus, you need to get on that prayer line or get in somebody's prayer group. There's something about prayer that starts the fire burning in your heart again. It makes the word come alive again. It makes you realize that you need to tell somebody about Jesus. It makes you understand that time is short. It makes you get in the race again. It makes you have a desire like Paul. Paul said, I am chasing after him who has caught me because I just want another glimpse. I just want to have another encounter. Is that the desire of your heart? If that's the desire of your heart, then you will do him not you.